Let's get your book published. Sharing the truth while giving you tips, tricks, and secrets about the publishing industry with your host, Nicole Gabriel. Today we have a special author interview. I worked with Darren back in 2015 and reconnected with him today to begin a new series of shows where I will be interviewing a few of the authors I've worked with over the years, what their book is about, how the book has helped them, what it has done for them, and where they are now. So let me introduce you to Darren Watkins. Darren Watkins is a 1984 WSU graduate and lifelong Coug fan. Darren worked as a television news reporter for 25 years in Washington, with his last nine years at Seattle television station King TV, and can still be found filling in at KHQ-TV and KXLY-TV in Spokane. Among his favorite stories were covering Apple Cup games, traveling to both Rose Bowls, and following Mike Price to Alabama for his first day on the job. He previously served as a spokesperson for WSU under President Elson S. Ford. He lives in Spokane with son Garrick and goes back to Pullman often where his daughter Delaney is now a second generation Coug. And here is our interview. So tell me, what is your book about? Well, my book, uh, Plain and Simple, was about a football team uh, from back uh, over 100 years ago. And while it was a great story being a football fan of the Washington State University Cougars, uh, while it's a great story for them, this really was a fun little romp um, with the research that I did through that time frame, you know, that sort of that slice of Americana. And uh, it's a fun look back, not just at these uh, group of guys and, and what they were able to accomplish, but just the, the setting and where they were. And, you know, today we take so many of the modern conveniences for granted that um, it is kind of fun to look back at a time where there weren't, weren't things like refrigerators or or radio or telephones or anything like that. It's funny to think that just 100 years ago, all of that, uh, none of that existed. Absolutely. So how did the story come about anyway? Well, so this all started for me, a, kind of a crazy journey. I was at a football game back in the kind of the late 80s there, a big fan of Washington State University, went to college there and uh, had season tickets for forever. Was one of those years where the the, the Cougs, as they're known, um, had a pretty good year, and they were uh, about halfway through the season. They had won more games and they'd lost. And of course, everybody talks about championships about mid season like that. And uh, a bunch of us guys were down at a place called the Field House. It's a popular place to to gather where they they serve food and drinks and have vendors and that sort of thing. Kind of a big, um, as you would expect, a big campus environment there. Uh, you sort of gather there and head to the game. Nearby, I'm going to say about six, eight feet away from us, was an older gentleman who was kind of sitting by himself. You could tell uh, someone had, he was waiting for someone to talk to the way he was looking around. And uh, we were all talking about Rose Bowl. Can this be the year that our team goes to the Rose Bowl? That was the championship at the time for uh, the, the conference. And as we got up to kind of bundle up to go into the game, this gentleman had it up and I grabbed it over my sleeve and I, I turned around and he said, hey, I heard you boys talking about the Rose Bowl. He said, uh, he said, you know, my dad played in the Rose Bowl and uh, he was the captain. I was like, well, that's pretty cool. I mean, the, the gentleman was obviously in his, he was advanced ages. He was close to 90 at the time and and, uh, uh, and I just said, who did he play for? And he had this funny look in his eye and he said, Washington State. 
And I thought, what? Washington State played in the very first Rose Bowl? I mean, that sounded confusing to me. I've been a Twitter fan for, you know, the most of my adult life. I've never heard that story. And so after the game, uh, I saw him sitting there waiting. And uh, I came over to him and we sat down. And for the next hour or better, he, he could vividly recall in detail events of that team and that game that were absolutely remarkable. And, it's, and, and I'm an old news reporter, and let me tell you, it was the greatest story I had ever heard, let alone that it went to my heart as a, as a fan of the game and a fan of Washington State. Uh, it, it truly was just this amazing story about um, a team of, of players. They were, they were farm kids and laborers' sons who had really wanted to make a better life for themselves and had gone to college and, and, uh, and, and, became this team that was so bad that their cross-state rival, the Washington Huskies, swore they'd never play them again. And, and it was just a, it was a down time for them. And so I took this great story that I had from, from this gentleman, and I, and I spent off and on, I kind of would research it, or I'd collect old photos. It was kind of like my private little story, right? It was just my my little story that I told people. I had old photos on the wall and people would ask about it because very few people seemed to even know about that the team was was in existence or that the game happened. And so as time went on, I ran into a writer, a fellow who was a writer on campus at Washington State when I worked there. And um, he asked me, he said, well, is that the gentleman who told you that story? Is he still around? And I said, mm -hmm. um, no, no, he's, he passed on not long after he told me the story. And he said, well, that's too bad. That means that the story technically dies with him. Just, my heart just dropped out. I mean, right? I mean, so yeah. here you have this great story, um, and I've done a lot of research on it, but going from that, you know, crossing that gap of that comfort zone of being able to try to actually put together a book, that is an enormous leap. And um, it's been a great journey, and I'm really glad I took it. Wow. Wow. So what, what was your inspiration to write it? Well, the, the, the hundred year anniversary was coming up. This would have been about 2012 and, um, 2013. And I knew that the deadline was coming and, uh, Nicole, I gotta say, I don't know how your clients start a book. The hardest thing is starting. And the second hardest thing is finishing and not the starting the book. Mm. Really, I just sat down and I picked a part of the book that I thought would be my favorite. And I just started writing. And I just wrote the whole chapter. Mm. And when it was done, I had something in my hand I could look at. And then I laid out an outline and I said, okay, if I want to take readers on this journey to go from point A to point B, what pieces are needed? Right? Yeah. If there's a secret yeah. that I can bring to you from my television news career or communication, it's that it's all about what people would like to read, not so much mm -hmm. about what you want to say, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of times people say, I want to write a book because I have a lot to say. Well, who wants to read that? Mm -hmm. And so it, 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 for me, the challenge was I'm not a writer. I mean, I was a broadcaster for years. I could tell a story, but I did not know how to write a story. And the, that, that probably was the biggest challenge. The inspiration was to get the story out in time to make the 100-year anniversary and uh, but the biggest challenge was just figuring out the rules and how everything worked. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. 
So um, what is it about the story that is so unique that that made you go through this whole process to write the book, to research it? Well, being a true, obviously, I, I love the idea that there was a championship, there was a national championship, and that the, the team that I love was a part of that. But, you know, deeper down, it really got down to the core of what this, the way that this, this gentleman told me the story, right? His father's name was Ace Clark, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ace Clark was the quarterback of this team, um, and his son, Gerard. And, and it really was a story of how these, these, these guys who were just a, a ragtag group of, of athletes at the turn of the century who, thanks to an innovative coach, became national champions were the best in the country. And it's a, you know, it's just truly remarkable how do you get there, right? And so um, for me, the challenge was in telling the story in the way that I heard it. I really wanted this story to be about, um, you know, these these guys had finished the season the year before so bad that, that no one really wanted to even, even acknowledge that there was a football team. And the next year they come out and they win a couple of games and, oh, wow, you know, now guys are talking to them about football. And then, couple more games and suddenly teachers are giving an extra time on their assignments and then uh girls are talking to them and heck about mm-hmm. two-thirds of the season now you've got dances being held in their honor and gosh before it's all said and done they're on a train headed to los angeles uh they they get cast in movies they meet honey you know how do hollywood starlets they meet um stars and they they, they get the you know royal treatments and they put on this national stage for the first ever championship of you know college football, the best in the East versus the best in the West, and uh, it, it truly was remarkable, a remarkable journey to think about. And and I wanted to write the book in that context of you know they just started off and they have this this wild coach that they hired from back East and uh, comes out to to change football, and and and, and, and that. In and of itself, was the stories within the stories were really what I enjoyed the most. Um, you know, this is a coach. His name is William Lone Star Dietz. He's mm. half he's half uh, German and half uh, Sioux Indian. And this is at a time when when racial parity wasn't really a conversation piece in America. And yet, he stood for himself, and he you know he was a, he was a unique character to football. He never yelled at his players. He rarely scrimmaged. But he was very innovative, and he he changed the way football was played, and mm. and uh, the impacts of that um, are rippled through college football today. Wow, wow! Just to live back then, how amazing! Oh. Right? Yeah, yeah. So now um, you've written the book, and what yeah. would you say? Uh, have been your greatest successes or, or failures even since you've written it? Well, I'll start with the failures first. Um, I did a lot of writing. I think the original, the original manuscript itself uh, might have touched on 10,000 words. It was, it was huge. And, um, and I, I discovered that the art to good writing is good editing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so the challenge was, um, I rewrote this book. I can tell you the truth. I rewrote this book eight times wow. from front to back. Wow. And on version about number five, um, ran into a friend 
whose dad was somebody that uh, filmed out the mission that actually worked for some publishing houses and uh, reviewed books and manuscripts. And so as a favor to me, um, he sent it to his dad and his dad read the whole thing. And I was pretty excited because I thought maybe this was a pathway to publishing and all that. And uh, he called me back and um, without using some unflattering terminology, he basically said that this book was a piece of ass. I mean, just really, it was just awful. No. And it, I, I was flabbergasted because I thought it was such a great story, but I didn't really just and, and But then he sat down and he gave me, I think I took, in our, I had an hour-long conversation, I probably took another seven, eight pages of notes about what was wrong. Just some of the rules. For example, because this is not a work of fiction, uh, it's a work of nonfiction. And because I want it to be authentic. You can't just write quotes on how you might think someone spoke, uh, right? In yeah. my mind, I yeah. didn't know the difference. I yeah. just wrote a conversation. I knew I knew what they talked about. I knew how the outcome of that conversation. I'd read enough transcripts to realize how that person spoke. I thought it would be okay, but that was a literary license, and it turns out that just is not allowed. Hmm. Everything that's a quote, you literally have to find uh, a reference to it that someone can go back and look at that exact quote written down, recorded somewhere else. And so that was, that was an eye-opener. Um, I had a great story to tell, but I needed, I needed to know the rules. And mm-hmm. once I had those rules in place, um, it really, I, it, the, the, the rewrite that I put together on that version required me to do some, some soul-searching and research. Mm-hmm. You know, just little things like, like, how do you write a quote for somebody when... You can't find that quote. You know what they had the conversation about. Um, and so I started, you know, going to watching some online webinars and I started getting books on how to write and things like that. And one of the things I discovered was in another book that I had previously read called Boys in the Boat. It was a book about the University of Washington crew team. And, and even and in places where he didn't have an exact quote, it was the way that he crafted the language that I was most impressed with. He would say things like, instead of being, you know, to have an athlete say, I'm, I'm afraid. Well, you can't say that if you don't have a quote. Instead, you can write what person in that situation wouldn't be afraid, mm-hmm. right? You can basically, so you can, you can use language by describing it without actually quoting it. And that was a powerful thing. That, that gave me then the tool to help guide the the, the, the reader, if you will, um, through the storylines. Yeah. And so that that was probably the biggest biggest help of all. Um, it, it, so the biggest triumph in all of this, I will say, was that I actually I actually got to a place where the book was published in September of 2015 uh, at the start of the hundred year season. This was a 2015 football uh, league that ended with the 19... I mean, sorry. <laughs> it, so, but, but, so the Rose Bowl was in 1916. So having it out that season was most important to do the 100-year anniversary. And that, that was the greatest triumph. And I would say, if I was to offer advice on how, how to make this process work for, for others who might be considering writing a book, it's to find the right people to help. Yeah. Whether it's someone that can help guide you on how to write, um, whether it's uh, finding a good editor that can go through and edit the book, 
whether it's finding a good designer, thank you, Nicole, uh, <laughs> for designing the book. And, um, you know, it's not an easy process. It's not. I, re- I remember early on our conversations that you and I had about what my vision was for this book. And, um, y- you know, you really learn quickly that a team can make uh, a product far better than an individual can. Yes. You know, we all yes. we fall in love with our stories. We fall in love with our what we think that should look like and sound like. Um, not realizing, I think the first conversation I had with you, 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 I can't. How many did you tell me different things got to go into a cover of the book? There's some <laughs> yeah. five dozen different yeah. pieces that go into a book. I had no idea. Yeah, it's there's a lot. There's definitely a lot. So, um, so you you wrote your book. You got through all of the challenges, and you finally yeah. were holding the book in your hand. How how did that feel? I have to tell you something. I've even written stories about this. Um, I. There is an emotion that happens when you are holding that book in your hand and it's got that Library of Congress registration. Mm. There is just, and your name is on it, right? Yeah. There is this emotion that you feel. And I've asked other writers, and you think writers would be great. They're great with words. They're great with describing it. And it's hard to describe. But I can tell you this. It is amongst probably as powerful an emotion as I felt graduating from high school or the birth of my daughter or wow. my son or, or, you know, it just, it is a profoundly powerful emotion and it might be one of the most hard to describe. Maybe it's because maybe there's different words in different languages that have already addressed this, but for the English language, I have a hard time, and I don't know what that is. It's because maybe you've made a place. Maybe there's a sense mm. of permanence. Um, or is it because you've accomplished something that you didn't think you could ever do? Yeah. Or is it because you've made a contribution back, right? You've carried a story forth that people will read and, and, and get the same joy out of it as you did when you first heard it. I don't know what that is. It, it's some mixture of all of it included, but it is a... It is a powerful experience. Wow. Yes, I know. I know. I cry every time I write one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and most of my clients do. So it's, it's very emotional. Uh, so will you write another book? Well, that is, you know, everybody asks me that question. You know, what's next for you? Because um, I'm convinced that you can't write a book and make any money on it. I, I will tell you by many benchmarks, uh, chance for glory uh, is a success. I've sold close to 5,000 copies. Wow. Um, but uh, honestly, it it doesn't it doesn't make very much money. Writers don't make a lot of money on the books. And um, and and it's and it's a story that has uh, it's it's endearing, right? It, it just because every year there's a new crop of uh, football fans that have never heard a story about their great team. And um, you know, it's a great chance to I can't go to a Cougar party without talking about this book. It's probably, it's, it's a, and, and I'll take books to uh, alumni parties and I'll give them away or I'll, uh, I'll host events or online contests or it's just been, it has been so much fun, not just telling the story, but telling the story of the book that, you know, it, 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 yes, it's a story about a bunch of ragtag individuals who find success 
But in a way, it's my story about somebody who never thought they could write a book and overcame that and wrote one. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I love to hear that. And okay, so tell us how to um, get a hold of you. Tell us what's next in your future. Uh, what What's okay. next for Darren? I, I have to say I have other interests. And honestly, I've been trying to help other people write books, right? It's just other folks that you will hear have a great story. Um, whether it's my accountant who believes that uh, there's ways we could change the IRS or whether it's a, um, a lawmaker who, whose family was struck by a serial killer and it, uh, that loss has driven her into being a very powerful victim rights advocate. You know, those are, those are great stories to tell. And if there's something I'd like to do next, I think I would like to help those folks find their voice mm. and uh, help them through this process as well. Uh, you can find me, uh, the website for the book is chance and the number four glory, chanceforglory.com. And it is a, uh, you know, I have to say, getting back to the book real quick, when I talk about the slice of Americana, here's an example of, of the time. This is a time frame when people wouldn't know the outcome of a football game for days until the team came back. Typically, mm. you know, in, in the Northwest here, teams were having to travel to Montana, down to Oregon. That'd be a day or so on a train. And they wouldn't know the outcome until it was over. Well, somewhere in the middle of this, it was discovered that um, there was a woman who ran the local telegraph office. Oh, wow. And there's not a lot of telegraph traffic on the weekends. And so her son was going to school at Washington State, and he would travel to these faraway games. And the old hammer pad that you see in the movies, or you're tapping it, it makes Morse code signals. Mm -hmm. Those have kind of gotten away from that. They, they were now teletype machines. But he would take that and he'd hook it up to the wires and he would send back his mom live dispatches from the game. Wow. And that was kind of fun. It was like a little private secret. Well, once the team starts winning, um, it it started, word started getting out that you could find out what was happening in the game right off the bat. So people started gathering around this telegraph office and she would read off the dispatches. And by the end of the book, when they're at the national championship, it is such a big deal that they take an old hotel and they paint a football field on the side. They take a ball and they put it on the end of a pole and the mayor himself would come out and read dispatches from the game saying, you know, third down, they moved the ball and they would, and the, the ball would move over the pole and people would cheer. And uh, they learned they basically were able to enjoy the game live clear up here in Washington state that was happening down in uh, Pasadena. Wow. And it, was like, it was just those, those little, I mean, just kind of those innovative slices of Americana that really, it really made the, the story magical. There was another part of it that uh, for me, it was something that I discovered rather than, than actually was told was Lone Star Deets was someone who um, had some strong philosophies about race. You know, for years he had written and had uh, had written letters to producers and directors in Hollywood saying, "Why are you uh, portraying Indians the way you are? That's just not right." And and they would often lean to him to make sure that their movies were more accurate portrayals. But at the same time, he wanted to be seen for the man he was, not for the color of the skin. And so he would often dress up in full blown suits to wear on the sidelines and. Um, 
there comes a story that he talks about where he had met um, a player from uh, is a championship game, and he had gone down to watch them practice. He had run into the the, the running back that was this. Uh, he was the first one of the first African Americans to actually play college level Division One football, and uh, and he asked. There was a great conversation he had. He said, "When you look at me, what do you see? When you look at me, what do you see?" And uh, he said, "Because you know, when I look at you, what I see is I see a man. I see a strong man who has a future in football if he wants to stay with it." And he wanted to be judged. He wanted people to judge each other for, you know, who they are, not what they were. And it was um, it was a profound philosophy for the time, and I think it's one that endears for the day. And those were the kinds of pieces of Americana that I loved bringing forward in the book because it helped to, um, I don't know, it just captures our imagination about a time long past, but at the same time, maybe values that we crave and would love to see uh, played out and demonstrated today. It's something it feels, it feels, when you read something like that, you think about that's missing in our lives today. Absolutely. That's a great story for everyone today and, and back then. Amazing and um, mm-hmm. boy, we need we need more stories like this today. Um, so it's a great story, and, and thank you for helping me tell it and get the book out and all of that. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm excited for you. Um, I know it was a long time ago. We wrote or you wrote this, uh, worked with me, and uh, I'm glad to hear you're so passionate about it still today. And um, so I I am excited to have reconnected with you. And um, I'm really glad we had this opportunity. And um, I, I look forward to, um, to hearing more. I, I hope there's another book in the future. That would be great. And should you need any help or have any writers who need advice or, or whatnot, please feel free to steer them my way. I'd be more than happy to help uh, offer my advice and counsel. And uh, the best advice I can, I can offer is uh, just get started. Just start writing. It's the best way to get something on paper that has meaning. And then once you have enough, do you think to where it looks like a book, um, get a hold of folks like you and find a good team of people to help make it a reality because it, it truly can be um, a profound experience to get a story told like that. Awesome. So people can find you again at chance for the number four glory.com. And, um, Everybody, look him up. This is a wonderful story to share uh, yesterday and today. So I uh, look forward to more. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for your time. All right. Well, thank you. Check out our online book publishing program. Join our email list or earn a great income by signing up for our affiliate referral program over on our Let's Get Your Book Published.com page.